Welcome to Comadres y Comics. Comadres y Comics is a podcast hosted by three Latina women. We highlight the Latinx presence in the comic book industry as creators, characters, and fans. Join us as we talk chisme, comics, fandom, and beer. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Comadres y Comics. We're your hosts, I'm Sarah. I'm Kristen. And I'm Jen. Hi guys, welcome back. Hi. Here we are back again. Yeah. Yes, we skipped a week because, tell us why, Kristen. Why did we skip a week? Was it because I was out of town? <laughs> yes! <laughs> so I went out of town to my hometown um, once a year, usually during the summer, the hottest parts of the year. My class, uh, my high school graduating class has an impromptu, not impromptu, an informal, that's what I want to say, kind of reunion. So we do the big ones um, every 10. So like where you get fancy and you go and have dinner and that kind of thing. But every year we just get together in someone's backyard and like have a pool party or whatever. And so that was happening this weekend. And I went and it was a lot of fun. The person who hosted it is a caterer and he made uh pork ribs tri-tip pork belly uh mac and cheese baked beans it was like i was in heaven chicken i ate one of everything and even some of the trays were the same thing but i took one out of each tray even <laughs> it was the same <laughs> i love it uh, and most importantly, I, um, I, <laughs> what's, what's it called? I never used, did this when I was actually in high school, but I drank a beer. I guzzled a funnel, the beer out of a freedom funnel. So somebody brought a beer funnel in the shape of an American Eagle that was decorated in the American flag. <laughs> And filled it with beer. <laughs> and then I had to drink it all. And of course, I am a professional. And yeah. I didn't drop a single drop. Hey. <laughs> nice. Chug, chug, a chug, true chug. professional. Yes. <laughs> that is so cool. So, yes. That's why we missed recording. Sorry. <laughs> well, in your defense, she tried to schedule a recording date and time uh, where she would record from Hanford. But I was like, you know what? You are on vacation. Your time off. Like, <laughs> do not press yourself for time. Besides, she had to drive in the hurricane weather. So I did. You did? Oh, my God. Yes. Coming. So for those of you who don't know... Hurricane Hillary hit Southern California pretty hard, and I was driving home on the day that it hit Los Angeles County, and we, because my mother was with me, we were driving over the grapevine uh, in the oh, middle of the storm, and it was God. very harrowing. It was scary. People were still driving like crazy people, um, and 
they were hydroplaning. And oh, shit. So we saw people who had crashed into the ditch. We saw cars that had crashed into other cars. Um, it was really crazy. And then to still see people driving like that, I'm like, gosh, they don't have any regard for their own lives, let alone the rest of us out here. <laughs> oh, no, mm-hmm. that would have been giving me a heart attack. I mean, and there's no place to pull over. Like, yeah. let's say, not not, let's say like, yeah. yeah, let's say like you get off on the next exit and just like wait it out. There is no exit mm-hmm. on the grapevine. That, yeah. and, and that shit is like over a fucking humongous, I don't know, colina of some sort, some hill. It's yeah. not, not even a hill. It's bigger than a hill. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> even when it's not raining, I hate driving that fucking hill. I hate it. Uh, I hate it. Yeah. And with the big trailers, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I just feel like they're just right behind me. I think at one point, one of them beeped at me and I was like, get the fuck off my ass. <laughs> yeah. It's just, oh my God. It's not cool. Not, yeah. I do not like it. And for if I would have seen that, raining hydroplaning crashing i would have fucking lost my shit i probably would have had a heart attack i would have peed my pants for sure What's hydroplaning <laughs> you're fuck- it's when like your um your tires they kind of like skid oh, because it's so because it's so wet and even if you break yes. even if you break it'll still keep mm-hmm. going yeah. because oh, of the no, no, yeah. yeah absolutely yeah, so, yeah see i'm mm-hmm. out the I'm water out. is so deep that when the cars were going faster than what they should have been, they no longer could find traction on the road and were actually on top of the water, skidding on top of the water. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it happened mm-hmm. to me. As soon as I started going up the hill, I hit some water and it happened to me. I'm like, oh no, I slowed down. And most of us with common sense were going about 45 miles an hour. Oh yeah. man, you would have caught me going 20 miles an hour. That shit is not fun for me. No fucking way, dude. No, <laughs> uh, no, oh no. Just, th- just thinking about it makes me anxious. Oh, you're such a brave person, Kristen. I, I do not know. <laughs> Well, here's the thing is, it's not so much I'm a brave person, but I'm a comic book retailer. And I knew (laughs) I needed to get home because the books were coming on Monday and I needed to do them for the pool list. And people are like, why don't you just go home Tuesday? Because Monday it's supposed to be raining too. And which it wasn't. But I was like, no, you don't understand. Mondays and Tuesdays are the days that I have to do everyone's, we do inventory, we take the new books, we have to put them in to their pools and, and make sure that the new books are ready on the wall i said no i can't i have to go home on sunday (laughs) so there i was driving in the rain (laughs) oh anxious anxiety oh maybe jen you can talk us down from the anxiety for me from my anxiety what did you do it was jen's birthday everyone it was my birthday uh, the past weekend yeah i was on the 18th um well, as Southern California was being battered by an awful hurricane, I was having a nice time in the sun. It was chill. Those vibes. Was it sunny? Yeah, it was oh, sunny. Wow. Like when it was like being like when you, but my birthday itself, I went to Santa Cruz and I was just like, you know, sunbathing. I did go into the ocean because I like going into the ocean. I was at the Santa Cruz main beach. So it's kind of like Santa Monica where the water's pretty filthy, but I didn't fucking care. <laughs> I'm just like... Not as uh, not as filthy <laughs> as Santa Monica, but it's still like pretty, like you know. Yeah. Um, um. Santa Monica consistently gets an F rating when they do those, like, uh, the 
environmentalists come out and rape the beach, Ooh. Santa Monica gets F yeah. every time. And Santa, Santa Cruz is a little bit more conscious about it, so it's not like I said. Like, it's still, to me, it's noticeable, but, like, to, like, there were still people going in into the water, and I was just like, yeah, I'm going to go into the water, too. And so I have a very nice golden complexion right now. I look great. Um, <laughs> Leo vibes, whatever. But it was like I like like I got there pretty early, and then I was basically on like I like got breakfast on the wharf, and then it was cloudy when I got there. Uh, but then it cleared up, and I was I was like watching the the seals that they have right there. Like they're right underneath, oh yeah, you know, like the wharf and like uh, all the places right there. And then like I went, I was on the Venice, uh, the Venice. It's not Venice. It's uh, the Santa <laughs> Cruz boardwalk, which is basically like Venice or like the yeah. Santa Monica Pier. Very touristy, but I like it. I got funnel cake. I am uh, got um, uh, lunch there. It was great. I had a very nice time. Go nice. to the beach, you guys. Well, what about all the vampires? <sighs> Tragically, I left before they could come out, and I couldn't bang one. So, you know. <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm glad you had a great birthday. That's awesome. I didn't do anything all weekend, except I did on Friday go see Blue Beetle, and I really enjoyed that film. Oh, that's, oh, right. that's right. People keep saying that it's actually really good, and now I'm tempted to oh, actually yeah, no, it. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, there's, uh, there's been some backlash, kind of a cookie cutter kind of thing, do-gooder family dynamic kind of thing. But you know what? There was a lot of Latinidad, and I really enjoyed it. I, um, Yes, of course, not everything's going to be like 100% amazing. But I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. The soundtrack was great. The acting was funny. The the comedy hit really good. I just really enjoyed it. And there was a scene that I was really impressed with. There's a scene that takes place in Guatemala and they the people in the scene were not Ooh. speaking Spanish. So that can only lead me to believe ah. that they were speaking a native language. So and I thought that was awesome. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hell yeah, fuck yeah. yeah, this is what I want. This is what I want to see more of. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but it caught me in the feels. Like there was like, you know, it's Latinx. And so there's a lot of family dynamic and how we handle grief and stuff like that. So I just, I just really dug it. I don't want to go into it. Because it really got me in the feels. But um, yeah, definitely go out to watch it, support this kind of cinema. Because, you know, we do need more of our faces out there. Out And there was a character that reminded me of Jen. So definitely go watch it. Definitely. It's, yes. Yes. And um, But yeah, no, it was really great. I really liked all the actors. And I thought I wasn't going to like um, um, George Lopez's character. But... I found that it was very comedic and funny and just went with everything. I've heard that. Yeah, everybody keeps saying that. I heard that about his his performance that a lot of people really thought that he stole the show. (laughs) Yeah, which is surprising. I think we forget that George Lopez can act sometimes. This is true. It's one of those Adam Sandler situations where he became more of a caricature of himself and where he was coming out. Uh And now it's kind of like a callback. So I'm happy for him. I'm happy that... He did give a good performance. Yes. So maybe people will uh, will start to because I know that there's been backlash against him too within the the Latino comic community, comic 
comedian, not comic book, because uh, here's some cheese myth. I think we've talked about it before on here um, because he is being, what do you call it, accused of not holding the door open. I'm using that as a metaphor for other Latino creators and in fact making it so that it's harder for them because he wants to hold on to the limelight. Well, that's some juicy cheese myth. And that actually propels us to the cheese myth de la semana. So that's some cheese myth that has been going on in the internet. And also another cheese myth regarding Blue Beetle is that there was a special appearance by El Chapulín Colorado. Was it? But that's really? been on the internet. <laughs> well, like not the AI? actor. No, like, no, like Claymation. <laughs> oh, okay. But I thought that was really cute. I thought that was like, are they already violating this man's corpse? I know. Seriously. No, no, it was just, it was just a cute little snippet. I thought that was appropriate. Um, Mm -hmm. But we have more juicy cheese. Kristen, you have some juicy cheese. Yes. So it is being reported that this guardians of the galaxy volume three is likely going to be Gamora's last appearance in the Marvel cinematic universe, not just in a guardians movie, but in the MCU. Um, And apparently she has not made it too much of a secret that she's just ready to move on from this role. Uh, And given that she came back i think sarah you mentioned she came back as a ravager her relationship with peter Peter. was not really the same that they're kind of making it so that that exit is easy i don't know how they're gonna do it i didn't see volume three um so i don't know if they already have or how that is going to play out but apparently she wants to spread her acting wings and does not want to be um pinholed into this particular MCU character so that's pretty that's pretty sad because I really enjoy her her character and I enjoy seeing her in the movies but I understand as an actress um you want to you want to go out there and and experience other roles yes I actually did see volume three and it's right now streaming on Disney plus so if you want to oh already oh yes if you want to watch it you could watch it on Disney plus and yes I just saw it and yes in fact the performance and the script does allow for Gamora to exit out of Mm. the MCU like you said she is a ravager now Mm -hmm. and uh, because she was shot basically nine years into the future so all that relationship with the guardians of the galaxy and the a relationship with peter that is non-existent she doesn't she doesn't uh, it's not that's not who she is right and that and they made that really clear in the movie yes she got black widowed when they're soldiered yes oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow yes yes and it takes you a while because i mean you've seen the movies but you don't see them consecutively so sometimes you got to refresh your memory yeah and yes they make it very easy for her to exit herself out of the mcu she's full ravaged now so and they made it very clear in the movie that that's her family that's her crew Mm. you know no i don't like Um, that i rebuke it (laughs) i know i know but if you watch the film it's actually really tastefully done i think okay another thing about that i really like about zoe saldana is that for the first part of her career she was they wrote her in the credits as zoe saldana yes and it and they just dis- just discovered the Enya guy. So now she is Soy Saldana. 
con una eñe. So, good for her. She finally gets to be her true self, Zoe Saldana. Yeah, I had no idea because I always heard it as Saldana too. I didn't know. So, I learned something new today. And is she Latina? Oh, uh, yes. Um, oh, okay. I think, I think she has family from the DR. I can't remember uh, offhand, but okay. she is Latina. Yes, yes, definitely. Okay. All right, guys, now it's time for On My Radar. What is on your radar, Kristen? Okay, I cannot talk to you enough about how much I like this freaking book. And when I tell you what it is, you're going to be like, you're crazy, Kristen. That's like silly. But I'm telling you, it is silly in all the right ways. It is so good. I laughed out loud so many times reading Marvel Unleashed. So, um... Interesting. (laughs) All of, I, I'm intrigued. All of the Marvel pets in the universe all come together. And it's not just, there's a storyline here. Um, there is a little dog who comes with a kind of like stray dog who deems herself D dog. Um, (laughs) She has this fantasy of being a superhero and they come together um, because the little like poodle is like my human is missing. He works a lot and he's often gone, but he's never gone this long. And D dogs like this is kind of above my expertise. We need help. Who do they go to? They go to pizza dog and so pizza dog if you guys don't remember is um is a hawkeye's dog lucky um so named because he only has one eye (laughs) um but also monikered as pizza dog because he uh loves pizza but they go to him and it's like hey we need your help and so um lucky's like hey i've gone on enough missions with hawkeye to pretty be pretty good at solving a mystery so let's go figure it out well turns out that they find some very damning clues that show that this little poodle's human is involved in some not good stuff with some not good people um and there's a a lot of stuff going on they go to get the avengers help but of course the avengers are doing something else and at the avenger mansion who is there but red wing which is um uh falcons (laughs) Falcons. uh, uh falcon and also chewy who is not a cat, do not call him a cat, uh, but Ms. Mar- or Captain Marvel's Flurkin. So they all get together and they go to try to, to figure out what happened to this little doggy's human. But I am telling you, the dialogue is so <laughs> freaking funny. The writer is Kyle Starks. And I can tell you, I no lie, I laughed out loud so many times reading this this issue. And it's not just, a, I mean, they're on a mission. They're trying to figure out what happened to this, guy, this dog's human. And it is just so entertaining. And this is just a, um, pre, not a preview, it's just the first issue. And on the cover, we actually have a preview of some of the other animals that are going to be showing up. Um, on the cover is Lockjaw and also Throg. So, and then there's a little doggy here that 
I don't know who that is, but let's see. Oh, Bats the Ghost Dog. I don't know what character that is, but apparently there's a Bats the Ghost Dog in Marvel Universe. But they are all in this book, and I cannot recommend it enough. It is so fun. Um, it's all age appropriate. I just loved it so much. So that is the book that is on my radar. It sounds like a lot of fun. And I, you know, I, now that you bring that up, like, I wonder, I mean, not every human is all bad unless you're like a super villain, but then you have dark nefarious background and childhood, but like <laughs> you can be a killer but you love your dog. And does that make you like yeah. less? Does that redeem you? I don't know. Right. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> is, a dog, is a dog's life the same as a human's life? There are some people who I know will say that, yes, it's the same. Well, in my yeah. opinion, no, it's yeah. not. But anyway, <laughs> it sounds like a lot of fun. I, I get where the sentiment is coming from. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. It's that time again, guys. What time is it? What time is it? It is. Es la hora de la cervecita. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think that I am turning the can the way it says to turn because this is a smoothie-style sour, and it says right on the side to roll before consuming. Do not shake. But roll, because I'm assuming that there are a lot of sediment in here. Um, and sediment, I'm assuming for all this fruity goodness that is in here, this is a fruit sour brewed by, what does BSB stand for? I can't even read the small little words. Here. I know. They, it's actually, it's Black Stack Brewing. Ah, They're from St. Okay. Paul, Minnesota. Okay. And it's called, it says now presenting and it's mango, passion fruit, guava, and pineapple fruit sour. This is a 6.3 ABV beer and I am very apprehensive about tasting it because it does clearly say right on the can that it is a sour. So, and it looks so thick. I can see Jen poured it into a glass, and it's yes. so thick. Let me turn oh, on the light. Okay. Ooh, okay. I haven't tasted it yet. I know it says, maybe it's the passion fruit, but I get, it has a little smell of banana for me. Oh, really? Yeah, look at that. In, in the, upon initial, look at that is thick. That's what he said. <laughs> That's what she said, too. Oh my that gosh. Okay. This smells like those Kern's fruit drinks. You know, the, mm. the Kern's uh, cans of guava and the humex. It's what it tastes like, it's too. Really? But, but sour. sour. <laughs> yeah. To me, yeah, but sour. I don't mm. ah. hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't hate it. And then Kristen. <laughs> Oh my I God. do think that I would like to mix this with something else, and then it would be better. It hit me at the end. Okay, so it it yes it it is a, it faked me out. It was really good. Yes, it did. Oh my God, mm -hmm. really good. And then it just like evolved into Boom. a punch in my fucking face. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. Of sourness. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if I was 19 and still like super like a big, and I do still like eating sour gummy worms, but like, I think I would enjoy this a lot. Oh more. my God. Cause it's not bad. <laughs> I actually like without I'm... <laughs> every time I say it's not bad, Kristen comes in with something. She's making faces. I'm like, oh my God. another sip and it's still really good at the beginning, but yeah. it really that the sourness just overtakes everything and ruins it for me. That's what I'm saying. Like it's not bad, but then it's just it's so it's in because the initial taste isn't no, sour it's not. at all. I think that's also yeah. what's tripping me out too. Is when you drink it. It doesn't taste sour. It's only the mm-hmm. aftertaste. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's so sour. And you know what? I also enjoy me some Sour Patch Kids or Sour Gummies or whatever. But this is, and even, okay, so I thought maybe a second drink like taste was going to be better because I expected it. I didn't know what to expect the first time. But no, the second time was just as alarming and <laughs> surprising as the first. <laughs> Okay, for context, guys, <clears throat> you know that we are not fans of sours, not at all, because they have like this really weird punch at the end. All the sours that I, because they grab your tongue, they just grab the whole thing and just kidnap it, you know? <laughs> um, but we drink all types of beers here on La Hora de la Cervecita, and this can art was not the thing that caught my eye. The thing that caught my eye on getting this can was the mango passion fruit guava pineapple. That's what caught my eye. That's what propelled me to buy this beer for the podcast for La Hora de la Cervecita. But I knew moving forward that the, oh God, that we were not going to be okay with the sour part of it. <laughs> um, it needs something like I need to cut it with orange juice or something. Like, yes. I'm Put me on pause. I'm about to go right in my kitchen right now. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. She's going to do a she's going to do an impromptu kind of um uh, what is it called uh experiment. I wonder Go if forth. mixing this with champagne oh. would take away any of the Ooh, like sourness but also kind of like a mimosa. Yeah. Yes. So it, it has You're a- doing champagne and sour beer, so you're upping your ABV, but yeah, I wonder if it because that is what it reminds me of of a mimosa except for it's sour as fuck. <laughs> yes, yes. And it has that mimosa consistency of the thickness of the juice. It's very thick for reals. Uh, it's a smoothie. smoothie yes. Beer. Which we've had the smoothie beer, the vampire blood one, I believe. And that was really a lot of oh, fun. Yeah. Remember that mm-hmm. was really good. That was also very expensive, but it was a lot of fun. And I enjoyed that one, but that was a lot sweeter than this. This being a, a sour is just killing it for me. Because yeah, <laughs> because in, in in the like you say in the forefront, it's really fruity, but not too sweet. But then it grabs your tongue with absolute okay. sourness, like absolute sour. I'm talking about lime sour, but lime that lime that's been in the back of your fridge for a while. That's one way of putting it. And actually. You know how you're saying you got to cut this with something? I When I oh, take it the second time, I thought ice. What did, what did yeah. you cut it with? So there is pina colada mix in the fridge. Oh, uh, shit. With some, and I got some ice as well to really cool it down. It is so much better. It is so just cutting out that sour because it's still sour. Yeah. 
but yeah. now it's like mixing with the pina like definitely either like orange juice like lemonade or this like pina colada mix something like fruitier that really complements mm-hmm. yeah, it yeah. like this like this fire holy really? shit so all sour drinkers are, are right now yelling at us it's like this is the <laughs> I don't care. of my grandmother ordering merlot wine and putting packets of sugar in it <laughs> she used to do that <laughs> Hey, oh whatever you have to do, whatever you have to do. Frank puts ice in his in his beer. Let me tell you, when I was in Nicaragua, I put ice in my beer the whole time I was there because it was so oh, freaking I bet, hot. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I even put it in the, uh, what is it called? A hydro flask because it would get warm so fast. Oh, and if yeah. I didn't uh-huh. drink it right yeah. away, I would be drinking warm beer. So in yeah. order to save me that, I would put, I put it in my hydro flask and I put ice in it. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I yeah. just said that out loud, but I, do, Ser- I did seriously do that. like right now. Like, go to your kitchen, see if you have anything like fruity or stuff like that. Cut it with it; it absolutely changes it. Oh my god, it's so much better! Like, because the flavor is there, the flavor is yeah. there, but it's the sourness. You just need to cut the sourness with something. So, if you yeah. have a current thing or something, go. I, for it. Yeah, I think this would make a really good cocktail beer. Like a complimentary yeah. beer to something. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. So. Um, and I can appreciate that there are sour aficionados out there. I know Eddie actually enjoys sours. But there are sours that are even more sour than what we just drink that don't even they don't even uh, give you the courtesy of that sweetness in the in the middle or I mean in the front. It just comes right out with the sour the whole entire way through. So I think that I am definitely not the person to be able to accurately rate this beer because I just know straight off from the beginning I'm not a fan. And that's all right. I mean, I think one of the things is like uh, there's several different uh, portions of the tongue that could be sensitive on each person. And I think Mm -hmm. for us, we just, especially me, like I know sours absolutely for sure. I can't drink the whole can because it will burn my stomach. After I drink it. Oh, I was just going to say that. I was like, yeah. I'm going to get heartburn. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Although this has enough sweetness, I think, that it'll be all right. I mean, I'm going to power through it because that's what I do. But you're absolutely right. That sourness that grips you right, it, like directly after it, it bathes your tongue with sweetness. Or not sweetness, with the fruitiness, the, mm-hmm. the yeah, flavors. Fruitiness, it's, almost, it's almost like a almost a savoriness i want to say mm-hmm. because yes. it's not like sweet sweet but yeah i know I, I get what you're going at even though it doesn't say it has grapefruit in it that's what the sour is to me very potent grapefruit at the end mm. Mm. yeah i'm gonna power through it i am <laughs> but uh i'm telling you go grab something from the fridge <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna cut it with water <laughs> but um <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I appreciate this. It's definitely uh, masterfully done where it has all those fruit notes, all of the fruit notes that that make it amazing. But then it, like I said, it kidnaps your tongue with the sourness. So each, it's sort of like, I don't know, like eating a really great taco, but then eating too much and it hurts your stomach kind of thing. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, that's me every meal. 
<laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Once you guys said about the like the like tummy ache, as soon yeah. as you guys said it, I could feel it. I could be my feel my stomach going like, girl, what are you yeah. doing? Yeah. The answer is yeah. living. It's eating really spicy food and then you're gonna regret it when you go to the restroom. You feel it the next day. Yes. I, I think we're ready to actually rate it. Yes. So our rating scale is a five-point rating scale with one being very unsatisfied, uh, two is unsatisfied, three is neutral, four is satisfied, and five is very satisfied. And I'm going to go ahead and get started since I'm here. And I am going to give this a two out of five. I am unsatisfied, but there was some parts of it in the beginning that I actually really enjoyed, but it that sourness just really, like it was a sourness that I have never experienced before in my life. And it <laughs> took me by complete surprise and I'm just not a fan. So I would, I would venture to say that maybe an actual sour drinker would love this, but that's not me. So I'm giving it a two. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. I think people that actually like sour beers would definitely just give it like a super saiyan because of all the flavor savoriness at the beginning of the drink. Mm -hmm. Um, This is Mm -hmm. definitely, I'm going to give it a neutral because I feel that it's the craft behind making all these notes like really available at the beginning of, of the taste. But the sourness is really just, I know it's a sour and I should have, you do anticipate for it, but I don't know. It's just kind of conflicting for me. And I feel this and I'm giving it a neutral because I feel like this could be like a cocktail beer. Like it could be like mixed with something else, like you said, champagne, and it'll just really elevate it for us because that we're not sour drinkers. What about you, Jen? What do you think? I think I'm going to give it a three out of five because I think the flavor is salvageable once you put it in there. And I think it is very flavorful in and of itself when you initially drink it. And I think it's something that like people who really like sours or saisons or whatever will really enjoy this because it's, it's just so sour, like not just being sour. It has flavor. It's just not for me. I like, I, like I said, I had to cut it with pina colada mix and ice. And honestly, now it's like (laughs) absolutely bomb. It's absolutely fire for me now. Um, uh, Like by itself, I want to say like, mm, I want to. I'm I'm stuck between a two and a three. Like the beer by itself, once it's cut with the pina colada mix and the ice, like this is this is a five out of five. Now, ooh, it makes me want to go get pina colada mix and buy another can. The way that you're talking good. about, I'm enjoying <laughs> this right now. But yeah, so uh-huh. that we're just gonna settle somewhere in the middle and say three out of five. Yeah, like like as soon as I took the third sip, I was just like. If I put ice in this, it could totally elevate the taste and cut out some of the sour. So I totally understand. And I, like I said, I do feel like this could be like a cocktail beer that you could bring to like a beer share and just cut it with something else like champagne or turn it upside down in your margarita. (laughs) (laughs) Blended with some ice. I mean, it's thick enough. Anyway, that has been our beer review. All right, guys, now it's time for our book review. What are we reviewing today? 
Today, we are reviewing a book called I, Miha. Uh, it's written by Christine Suggs, and it has a little byline that says, my, bi my bilingual summer in Mexico. So the description on the back says, 16-year-old Christine takes their first solo trip to Mexico to spend a few weeks with their grandparents and Thea. Initially, Christine struggles to connect with their relatives because they don't share a language. Seeing the places their mom grew up, the school she went to, the, the cafe where she had her first date with Christine's father, Christine becomes more and more aware of the generational differences in their family. Soon, Christine settles into life in Mexico, eating pan dulce, drawing what they see, and growing more at ease with Spanish. But when mom joins their trip, Christine's two worlds collide. Christine feels homesick for Texas, bristles against traditions, and misses being able to speak to their mom without translating. Eventually, through exploring the impacts of colonialism in both Mexico and the themselves, Christine finds their place in their family and starts to feel comfortable with their mixed identity. Inspired by real-life trips, Christine Suggs makes their graphic novel debut with this bilingual, inventive, and heartfelt memoir. Yes, so that is what we're reviewing today. And let me just say, I know I say this a lot, and I'm the one that says it a lot all the time, but I love this book. I love it so much. Oh my God. I love it. I can identify with a lot of stuff. I put little notes throughout the pages and just to let you know, like at the beginning, I did not know that they wrote and drew the book. So oh, you guys know yeah. that I have a special, like super respect for people that do both the writing and the drawing of every, I mean, I mean, that's a lot of work and this is like a pretty sizable book. And they did an amazing job. So I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm in love with this book. Just to begin in the first few pages, uh, Christine is like leaving school on her last day of school. And she's wearing a sweater or they are wearing a sweater. And <laughs> they say, it's so hot. And and it's a black sweater. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of my high school experience where I would wear like black long dresses in the middle of freaking summer I wore I, I used to wear this black velvet dress like I wore it to like Magic Mountain and it's like 90 <laughs> degrees 100 degrees out like and you know in Magic Mountain it's super hot and it's like I know I have to wear this because this is who I am I cannot like not wear this and wear a sundress like it's I felt so seen <laughs> so, I mean I mean, I'm just like, just that little part at the beginning of the first few pages, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to love this book. This is so me in so many levels. What do you guys think? So I really also felt seen <laughs> the part where, I mean, you guys could probably guess, obviously, um, she's a little chubby Latina and she always, the, one of the interesting things about the way that she draws the story is that there's always a little mini her in the, not always, but they're in a lot of the panels. There's a little mini her that's kind of like her, like her conscious, like the little Jiminy Cricket or whatever, and will often mm -hmm. be adding to what she thinks or what she sees. And one of the things that she is self-conscious about is that she is a little bit overweight. And she talks about how her entire family um, is often struggling with that. And one of the things that I laughed out loud, I was reading the book while I was laying in bed and my husband 
husband was next to me. And I just started laughing out loud because there are some panels where she's eating and they're talking about how while they're eating, they're talking about what they're going to have next. And I told Eddie, I tell Eddie this all the time that I am someone that at the moment that I take the last bite of the current meal I'm eating, I'm already thinking of what I'm going to eat next. And multiple times in here, they talk about how that's just, that's because they're Mexican. That's their culture. (laughs) I laughed out loud because I told Eddie and I read him the panel. I said, see, it's my culture. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, though, I found really funny is when they go out, you know, they're out sightseeing and doing the whole tourist thing. And then they went out to eat to a restaurant and they had their meal and they had a lot of it. The spread was amazing. And then right after that, the grandpa is yeah. buying like 20 gorditas. Uh-huh. 20 gorditas. And then. And then <laughs> and um the grandma gives him the stink guy he saw they're for for later they're for later because everybody's like we just ate he's like they're for later they're for para después. Uh-huh. i thought that was so funny yeah the, the panel actually says at home we have a joke that when you talk about plans for food while you're eating it's called being mexican <laughs> <laughs> I said, see, Eddie, it's just, the, it's my culture. I, I'm just being Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> that so, was super funny. Uh, so oh, there were yeah. a few things in here that I actually really identified with. That was one of them. Being a chubby Latina was another. And the third was just trying to communicate in Spanish with my elders. I grew up in a household where my grandmother watched me a lot while my mom was at work. I would be there at the summer on summer during summers or after school. And my while my grandmother spoke English, my great grandmother did not. And she would speak to me only in Spanish. But as a young child, I felt very awkward with the language. And I always responded in English. And I really wish that I would have been more comfortable with that part of my heritage and culture and actually participated more in communicating with her. Um, And it actually helped me because even though I never responded in Spanish, I could understand what she was saying because she spoke to me in Spanish my entire life until she passed away. And so when I took Spanish in high school, I aced that class like nothing because I had been being spoken to in Spanish while I was a young child for so long. And it was a struggle and I felt I felt very, not for the same reasons that Christine felt awkward, but it still was that awkward feeling. And so it made me think about that and about my years when my grandma, my great grandmother was still living and we had that awkward communication with each other. And I think that's what happens with a lot of us kids who are born in this in the U.S. and are going to school with English speaking classmates. I don't remember myself very much saying it out loud, but I know I thought it and I felt it where I would reject speaking Spanish mm-hmm. for a bit. And then I, my brother, my mom told me this about my brother because my brother was just, he just communicated easier, like because he is a boy. <laughs> That's how I felt. 
Um, and so like when my mom took him to school once and she rarely took us to school because she always worked, he, she wanted to say goodbye to him. And he said, no, mom, I don't want my I don't want my friends to know that I speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. And that was very painful for her. Yeah. But I understood my brother. Yeah. So I find that it's actually even though I wasn't an immigrant, it's definitely that mentality of otherness and not wanting to feel different. Right. Um, and it's interesting because it's not just with Spanish speakers. It's with a lot of other immigrants that come to this country who are felt ostracized by speaking another language. And even Eddie has a similar story. His parents are native Italians and he, um, they would talk about how he spoke fluently when he was a child, but he was embarrassed by it and rejected it and did not want them to speak to him in Italian. And so he lost it. Um, And so I do really think that it's just something that a lot of families who are immigrants or at some point immigrated here are felt to be embarrassed about and ashamed for. Yeah, it's, I get that. And it's something that hits really close to home. For my brother, the irony was that his best friend group was he had a black friend, Calvin. He had a Japanese friend, and then he had a white friend who lived right across the street, and then a Guatemalteco friend with his brother who would they would spend the night over. And I'm like, he has the most diverse friend <laughs> circle, <laughs> and yet, and yet, you know, like yet you still want to feel that like. I speak English kind of thing, you know, Mm -hmm. it's weird. It was weird, but I felt really seen in this book all through the whole book. Jen, do you, I'm sorry, we're taking up so much. Did you want to say something? No, I think you guys covered it because I mean, a lot of the book, it like, it was basically, well, I'm not, I'm a little bit better than a Nosabo kid. (laughs) Yes. Um, I like to think my Spanish is pretty good. But it's still, I it recognize, it's still very kind of uh, like a little bocho, a little bit like ghetto Spanish, because it's not proper, like, Casti- not proper Castilian Spanish, or even like sometimes some of the conjugations I, or like the words that I say, while the people who speak Spanish or and that have been living here understand me, if I was to go to like Mexico or Guatemala and stuff like that and say those words, they'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? What are you? Yeah. Yeah. And so it is very much, I've, um, uh, yeah, the same thing. I used to be a lot more fluent because Spanish was my first language. It was like, mm-hmm. it was my first language. But then growing up here in the United States and my parents, even I grew up bilingual, but even then like her experience when she said, when she would go like to the, like to Mexico and speak to like her grandparents, I still had that experience too, because above that, all of, most of my family in Guatemala speaks quiche that dialecto and so and i it's so isolating like them when she was just like i missed like talking and stuff like that i i completely understood her in that moment because i i whenever i do go to guatemala and when i visit there i like visiting but i can't i never feel like i can really talk and when Mm. i try to help out with chores and stuff like that they just kind of like laugh in my face and they're like look at your hands they're so soft and i'm like (laughs) 
Oh, one. Thank you. Um, I'm like, I get it. I get it. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm like, thank you. I try very hard to have nice soft hands. But two, also, wow, I can still do things. I'm not like a princess. Oh man, you just hit it right on the head. The nail on the head, the head on the nail. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But no, I mean, I just came back from Nicaragua and I felt that soul in my bones and my soul. Like, Mm -hmm. seriously, oh, that that hurt. That hurt. I got to try harder. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just embrace it. Another one of the things about the book that I really, really liked, and I think, Sarah, you probably were going to bring this up too, because I know how you love to learn when you read. Um, (laughs) But they, Christine, really talked a lot about... The history of Mexico, particularly the colonialism of the country, and it really hit me very, like, hard, not in a, like, bad way or whatever. I'm like, I'm really glad that Christine added this in the book when... It was a scene where Christine is talking with her mother and they're talking about being Spanish and Mexican. And she says to her, to her mom, wait a minute, aren't we part Spanish? And her mom's response to her is not by choice. And I thought that was like such a like hard hitting statement. And I'm so glad that she added that in this book. It was just a really amazing moment in the story itself. It was like a really beautiful moment where she's like, they're at some place, I think in El Museo de Antropología Mexicana, where they were talking about, you know, she was saying, but aren't we Spanish too? And like you said, but not by choice, but it was just a a beautiful, like a a mother-daughter moment where it was like really Uh real. Like, I just love that about that. And like you said, yes, definitely. I totally love it when they teach you things. I really love, so basically this trip that she took to Mexico is a trip that I took with my dad to Mexico as well. We went to El Museo oh. de Antropología. We went to La Basílica. We went to, I'm, I'm sorry that she didn't get to go to Teotihuacan with the pyramids, but all those pictures that, that the, the, the gardens in La Basílica, that, that one stairway where they went to the top and they saw like the whole horizon. I, mm-hmm. I have pictures there. I've been there. I just recently went there with my aunt and her family. So I recognize all that. I like the scene of Juan Diego con la Virgen de Guadalupe. I I, I know all of that. And um, the the castle of Chapultepec, uh, Los Niños Héroes, where the kids, they wrapped themselves in the Mexican flag. And because they didn't want the French to take the flag, to take it, because I think when you take the flag, that's like you conquered it. Mm-hmm. Instead of letting them take the flag, they wrapped themselves in the flag and they threw themselves off the top of the, of mm-hmm. the, of, of El Palacio. So, to their death and any oh I get so emotional anyway um that's why they're called Los Niños Héroes and I just thought that was just so amazing for her to teach the reader about in in this book and the story and I just thought it was so amazing um it just it she, just just beautifully executed beautifully executed down to the even the little things like we know the real reason why the aunt can't travel to Mexico and that, that hit me. And then Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. far as the story went along, it was actually said out loud in the family conversation. And so she's okay. I never, I kind of knew it, but I didn't, didn't really talk about it. Now that they said it, I know it's true. And I'm part of that 
I'm part of that secret. Secret. Mm-hmm. And then I really, I really, if you guys pick up this book, you definitely have to read the the back matter because um, mm-hmm. it took 29 years for the aunt to get permission and to become a resident and be able to go back to Mexico and see her parents. Mm-hmm. And that part of the story is not in the story, but in the back matter. And that hit me hard. I was just like, fuck, this is so amazing. And I'm, I just am so grateful that she told this story. It's, it's just really moving and beautiful, really moving and beautiful. And while there's so much history of the country and also there's some immigration stuff in there, um, it also grounds the story very strongly in the fact that she's just a young teenage girl going through a lot of changes. She doesn't know, does she like girls? Does she not like girls? Um, uh, Does she want to look more like her brother? Does she want to be pretty? She's overweight. Does she want to lose weight? Like there's so many things going on in there that I think all teenagers go through and experience and she just happens to be doing it while she's also just being immersed in her culture in a way that I think a lot of people just really don't get to do if they don't have dual families in dual countries and so I thought that was really cool um, that she's going through this this change of adolescence into adulthood because you even see it in the in the story the family offers her wine the family lets her drive like it's all these like stepping stones when you're growing up and you're getting older and you're transitioning into adulthood um but she also has this added thing of hey this is my culture and it's important to me and i want to be able to honor it. And so I just really, I really, for all kinds of different reasons, um, altogether really enjoyed the story. Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I really love about reading this story right now at this moment in time in my life is that I, like I said, I took this trip with my dad. I mean, I've taken it with my mom as well to Puebla, but with my dad to LDF and where all these, all these uh, wonderful places are. And I see her drawings and I can see my pictures in them. But also, this story reflects a lot about the trip I just took to Nicaragua. Like uh, packing yeah. like packing all these gifts for the people that you're going to go visit. Like She's like, mm-hmm. I can't possibly pack anymore. We're shopping f- for all these gifts for cousins and aunts and everything. The mom is saying, oh, wasn't your, your cousin the one that liked dark colors kind of thing? That's actually what Frank and I go through whenever we go on a trip to Nicaragua. We like, oh, you know, she would like this or let's pack the Barbie for this kid and let's pack this other Barbie for that other kid. Um, and not only that, like when they went to La Peñal de Bernal, where they had to climb that hill, those steps up. And she's like, I can't make it. I, can't make I did it. think about you. <laughs> exactly. That is an actual mirror of all the climbing I did in this last trip where people were like, you're almost there. You're almost there. And even you almost got this. Yes. And even when they got up to the very hilltop where the grandmother, she's she's basically ripping a plant from the root Mm. and putting it in her bag because she wants to take it back to her garden. Yeah. My, (laughs) my mother-in-law was doing that. (laughs) And so she, Oh my God, it was hilarious. Um, 
we got her a plastic bag and she was just ripping all these plants from the root. And I'm like, you know what? Let me help you. Let, look, I ripped this one. And so, and then right before I left, she, uh, I recorded a video. She was telling me, look at all the plants that we, we took from there. I already planted them in my mm -hmm. garden. And I took a video of that. And that reminded me of th this book. It's just, it, it, there's so many moments yes. of relatability yes that i and it, it it reminded me in a way that didn't make me sad because there are some books that we read that the nostalgia and also like the experiences and, and stuff like that they're like they're nice but also they make me sad this one didn't mm -hmm. make me sad at all i felt very i like i would have loved reading a book like this oh, when yes. i was a teenager yeah it definitely would have made me like cringe less I like my own actions and stuff like that because then I would have been like, okay, I'm yeah. not the only one. Especially because, like, as a teenager, you're so caught up in your old world, in, in like, your own world, that you don't don't really realize that at the end of the day, some of these things don't really matter. They, they only matter to, like, you and the people yeah. around you. Like, yeah. I don't know if I'm trying to – if I'm really getting at what I'm trying to say, but it's, like – it's not that big of a deal. Like these things seem like so much larger than life when in the end it's just like, oh, no one cares. No one cares if you dress like this or if you look like this or if you do this. So I don't know. It was a it was a good book. I really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, e I mean, even the part where she was in the hammock that her grandpa put up for her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my mother-in-law put up a hammock for me. She's like, oh, just rest, just rest. And I'm just like, but. Don't you want me to help you with the dishes? No, no, no. Just rest. Just rest. Mm -hmm. So, and then, and not only that, like having the hammock threads kind of dig into your skin, kind of like cause you're feeling a little bit fat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even that little part was just like, I feel that so much, you know, it's just, it, like you said, this is a really good companion for like a person that, you know, kind of struggles with finding her, their identity. I mean, I know for, for them, it was difficult because they called her, they didn't call her, but she basically called her Soflaguera because she's really much more light skinned than the rest of her family. And I think that also was a struggle for them as well. So, I mean, it's all presented here and it just is such a beautifully drawn, beautifully executed, just. And they did the research. I mean, like I said, when you see the panorama of the places she visited, it looked exactly like I remember when I went there. It's just uh, really just kind of amazing. And just really quickly before we rate the book, I wanted to make note that Christine does. Um, she's a designer, an illustrator, designer, and comic artist. And she does identify as queer and does, I'm assuming, prefer the they, them pronouns because that's how the back is. And I think we've all maybe slept, slipped into using the wrong pronoun, but I just want to make sure that we honor honor their choices. Um, so I am, it says this, this is her debut. Darn it. This is their debut. And I really cannot wait to read Are you more. Serious? I hope that they do. Yeah, it says on the their back, this is, this is, uh, oh my uh -huh. God, this is such an amazing book for it being the first. My God. Yeah. It's a graphic well novel written. debut. Maybe they've written other prose stuff, but it says it's their graphic novel debut. Well, first of all, let me just say, draw the way they drew the food. Oh, just, I was hungry the entire time while reading this. Uh, 
the pandulce yes. was on point and they even gave a little tutorial about how pandulce came to be pandulce and yes. all of the colonial um influences. influences but how the mexicans took it and made it their own yes not only that even between the chapters you know how there's like a little kind of like kind of a pause page where you put the chapter and then you have like a little kind of art page they had mm -hmm. the talavera it, the talavera but with like I, I mean i don't know how to describe it they have pandulce and the talavera kind of format and talavera is tiles they're more um i think they came from puebla and they are tiles that are painted in like the blue color scheme with white and it looks almost like moroccan almost and i think it does have some roots in the moroccan style but they put like like nopales i mean it just you really need to buy this book guys all i'm saying is you guys need to buy this book and read it because it's so good it's so it's not good it's great great <laughs> so i think uh do you guys want to say anything else i mean i can go on but i don't want to ruin the story for anybody i think we're ready to read it <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes uh what is our scale Kristen? Uh, so, very fitting, our rating scale is a scale of one to three conchas, and three being the most conchas that Jen's mom ever let her eat in one sitting, so <laughs> that was the best uh, that of the best that there could be, uh, and Sarah, I'm going to let you go first because I think that, that you're going to have more to say. <laughs> oh my God. In honor of my trips to Mexico and my youth, I'm going to give this the whole panaderia and a cup or a saucer of pulque de Puebla. Hecho <laughs> <laughs> de maguey. Yes. De maguey. Okay, so this is Kristen. I am also giving it the whole panaderia. I really enjoyed it a lot um, on many different levels, on the coming of age story, on the Mexican history story, on just the family dynamics, um, and also, most importantly, on me now knowing that I am not weird i am just mexican that's why i think about food all the freaking time <laughs> oh my god you saying for christine watch out incredible so this is jen and i am gonna give it also the entire panaderia and all all the bread like the out of season ones too the the rosca de reyes <laughs> the the like all of it because it was it was a really good story and I think it's really good for either your first or second generation kids or further the your no sabo kids and just anybody who is really looking to reconnect mm -hmm. with their roots and have always wondered what it's like to actually go because even if this is like a, a young teenager I think those feelings they come from a place of youth of what we wanted to do. So I recommend it like either for like, you know, kids, but also for adults and, you know, getting in touch with something that you always mm -hmm. wanted to do. And if that is going to go visit Mexico or Guatemala or El Salvador or Nicaragua or uh, wherever it is that your family hails from, you should go do it. Absolutely. And that has been our book review. 
All right, guys, now it's time for In La Libreria. Jen, what do you have for us today? So today I have The Bicyclist's Guide to the Galaxy, Bike and Book Science Fiction Fantasy Stories. Ellie Blue's 10th feminist bicycling anthology with 10 new book-themed short stories that are out of this world. Look, I just saw this and I thought it looked funny and interesting, <laughs> but like as I was reading it, I was just like, okay. It is being published by Microcosm Publishing. They are a small and innovative publishing house that specializes in work designed to empower readers to improve their lives and communities. Microcosm fosters creativity by challenging conventional publishing wisdom and tries to always have the most fun. Originally a Zine distro and record label, Microcosm was founded in Cleveland, Ohio in 1996 and is now based in Portland, Oregon. Their books are printed in the USA. So they have actually have had 79 kickstarters what wow uh, that's crazy whether all of them have been successful they have they are a small publishing powerhouse so i'm gonna read the synopsis they're like their campaign page that they have right here and the story is this spacecraft is powered by bikes wow and books escape to realities not so different from our own and enjoy a break from the perils of everyday sexism and fossil fuel dependence by taking these stories for a spin. These 10 joyfully feminist short stories are set in fantasy worlds and science fictional universes filled with bicycles and books. The theme of the 10th volume of Bikes in Space stories is a resounding books. All of the stories in this volume are fantastical, whether sci-fi, fantasy, speculative fiction, alternative magical history, or uncategorizably weird. They all include books and bicycles as inextricable parts of the plot, and they're all feminist in some way, or at least not perpetuating boring old gender stereotypes. A lot of them are queer, and all of them are extremely fun to read. We think you'll really enjoy them. Then they have like the title page, the 10 names of the stories that are going to be there. Uh, and they say, inside you'll find two strangers and their bike falling through a literal plot hole into a <laughs> fantasy novel. Rebel medics posing as bibliophile bicycle tourists on a mission to an authoritarian world. An author chronicling the hot new galactic trend, solar biking. Ooh. An interstellar book preservationist getting a wilder ride than she planned on a straightforward library visit. Friends attempting to recreate the legendary biking bike outing of their literary hero, bicycling, Faye stealing a sixth grader's favorite book, and more. While editing these ten stories, an unexpected theme emerged. Friendship. Unexpected new friendships, old friends coming out of the woodwork when most needed, and groups of friends banding together to ride bikes and change the world. If anything's more important to our collective imagination of a better future than books and bikes, it's got to be friendship. And I'm here for it. So they have the rewards listed on in here as well. They have a few tiers that can be mixed and match. I'm wondering how they're going to be doing that. And all item rewards will be available as add-ons through Pledge Manager after the campaign is complete. Oh, so that's how they're doing it. So... The various like rewards you're having is, of course, the book itself, The Bicyclist's Guide to the Galaxy, but there's also the Bikes in Space series, because apparently this has been going on for a while. There's like nine oh, other wow. books. Uh, yeah. There's like even Cowbots Get Blue Balls, <laughs> How to Protect the Bookstores and Why, 
50 Ways to Protect Bookstores, How to Ride Slow, The Velocipedes Races. <laughs> they have various stickers, a laser beam cat pin and sticker, a random t-shirt, and a tip jar. And then they go on a bit further to explain the history of the series as well and how it was originally a zine, how they are going to be shipping stuff, and about the authors as well, like little synopsis about them. So they are currently, I think it was just launched, I believe so. So they are looking for a goal of $5,000. They're currently at 955 with 55 backers and 19 days to go. You can always back without expecting a reward. You just want to support. But the base pledge just starts at $10, which is an ebook copy of the Bicyclist Guide to the Galaxy. At $13, you get the paperback, which is actually pretty decent. So it's $13 for the physical copy and $10 for the digital copy. At $14, you get the book and the sticker. I think the physical book. And then at $18, uh, Put the fun between your legs. Tier. <laughs> Sorry, I had to, I had to say that name of that tier. So it is the bicyclist guide to the galaxy, and even cowboys get blue balls, which I am so curious about. <laughs> yes, I think this is what I might back. This is the ebook version of that, and then it keeps going up. They have different, uh, like as they said, like mix and match levels of tiers, as well as stuff that you can choose from. But at just ten dollars, you can get the ebook, and I think it's, I think it's interesting. I think it's unique, and it looks like a lot of fun. So it is the Bicyclist Guide to the Galaxy on Kickstarter. Well, that sounds super cool. As a matter of fact, the other day I was just thinking because I have my bike. I used to ride my bike to work, and the tires are all messed up now. And I was like, should I get rid of it? <gasps> and I was like, no, no. <laughs> I had so many adventures. I actually enjoy uh, cycling. Like, yeah, I do too. Not in the, not in the whole like outfit, helmet, <laughs> you know, weird shoes kind of thing. And the kind of like just regular stuff. Like, you know, just I don't know. Going like, out for I, like a ride. I literally thought the other day I was like, you know what? I gotta fix up my bike and maybe take it around the block a few times. So this is this sounds really exciting. Across the galaxy. I'm there. <laughs> All right, guys, now it's time for Juntos y Fuertes. Kristen, what do you have for us today? Well, today I have for you a little something different. So Juntos y Fuertes is our segment where we highlight creators, projects that we think are worth highlighting and uplifting. And we try to support creators who are also members of marginalized groups. And today I'm sharing with you a different type of creativeness. Um, and it's actually local here to our South Bay community. And that is the Gardena Cinema. Gardena Cinema is one of the last family owned cinemas in Los Angeles. It's a movie theater here in Gardena, California, which is the neighboring city to where I live. Um, and it's been a state for decades. I did not grow up here, but I asked my husband if he ever used to go there, and he said, yes, of course he did when he was a lot younger. Um, so right now, the owner, who is Judy Kim, is fighting to save the local landmark 
landmark. Um, and a lot of local supporters are really rallying around here, around her volunteering at the at the cinema. They sweep, they clean the toilets, they go and run the concession stands. And that's because Judy is running the operation all by herself. Uh, it's a single screen theater on Crenshaw Boulevard built in the 1940s. That is freaking amazing. I love Yes. Yeah, I love all of the old theaters mm. on um, Broadway downtown that were all built in yeah. the height of Hollywood era and seeing pictures and old clips of how downtown Los Angeles used to be with all of those old theaters. It's just so cool and nostalgic. And the yeah, fact that there was one so of those pretty. theaters right here in my backyard is super, super cool. You know, what really makes me sad too, is when I see those old theaters and they are now a gap, Yes, but they kept the marquee out front. Yes. So you can tell that it was an old theater um, no. or oh, it's a indoor swap. Meet. Really started on the yes. There's one downtown that's an yeah. urban outfitters. So, oh, I hate that urban outfitters on that fucking dude <laughs> uh don't get me started anyway yeah there's continue. a there's a fox one in in between santa monica and venice that is an indoor swap meet so they're all over and in fact judy is quoted as saying you know there used to be a neighborhood theater in almost every neighborhood in los angeles but they're all gone now um so this was built in the 40s and judy's parents purchased it in 1976 it was her mom's dream to have a movie theater and they they bought it in 1976 and it's been in her family ever since however um her mother passed away last year from cancer she was battling cancer and her father who is in his 80s now is like already retiring he you know he deserves to retire and so she says keeping this 800 seat theater running has really been a financial struggle so much so that she had to sell the condo that she was living in to keep this business running so she is really wanting to work hard to keep her parents dream alive but it's just really been hard one of the reasons why is that they were closed for almost three years during the pandemic um the movie theaters definitely were hit very hard when everything was closed down and then when everything did reopen i know myself included people were not looking forward to sitting in an enclosed space while while covid was at its height for who knows how many strains afterwards with their masks off eating popcorn and drinking soda so it's been a really hard time for her to get back on her feet after the pandemic um and so that that's when she reached out to the community and was really grateful to all the people who rallied around her. Um, so like I said, they're uh, cleaning toilets for free, sweeping for free, just doing what they can. Um, she says it's just really been slow. And right now, um, even though this used to be a family business, she's the only one left. There is her parents are just her mom passed away. Her dad is no longer able. So she's the only one. So one of the cool things was recently the uh, Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival um, reached out to her and they held one of their screenings there. And so that brought out hundreds of people uh, to the cinema. And that was like really, really great. And so she just hopes to be able to continue to, to keep it open. Um, 
she says it's going to it's going to break her heart if and everyone else's heart if she has to close it. So one of the things that she's doing is exploring the possibility of turning it into a nonprofit organization, but says that she knows that process could take years. Um, so the reason why I am sharing this is that this woman, Judy Kim, definitely has passion for this medium of artistic, you know, uh, what I want to say, I mean, movies are, are definitely art and she supports it. She supports local art. This was a, um, this was the theater where I told you guys she was showing uh, the zombie lucha yeah. or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, a Cholo Zombies Monstro. Oh, yeah, 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 Cholo Zombies. Yes, and Purple Rain. She had nice, Purple nice, Rain nice. and a dance party. So it is, I know that our this episode is not going to be out in time for this Sunday, which is like three days away. But in case you two don't know, it is the movie industry has something similar to free comic book day and it is this sunday the 26th and all movie theaters are having movies for four dollars oh wow yes yeah so including the gardena cinema and so if you can if you're local obviously you won't be able to go for four dollars but try to get out there and support the gardena cinema and judy kim the owner we are doing our part at jeffrey's comics we are going to be hosting a Batman Day event at uh, Gardena hey. Cinema. The day will start at Jeffrey's Comics in Torrance, California, where we are going to be hosting a free comic book day with creators. Um, Danny Mickey, who is a longtime penciler and inker, I think inker, for DC and Batman books. There's going to be two other creators who were, um, who were, I think one was a director and another one was an illustrator for Batman, the animated series. We're going to be giving away books. We're going to be giving away little statues that DC is offering to us. We're going to have a lot of cool stuff. And then from there, we're going to move over to Gardena Cinema and Judy has graciously agreed to screen Batman 89 with us. So the oh. tickets will be $15 and as soon as we get that link we will have it available for you on our social media and we'll share it on our Comanche Comics page but that is September 16th that's Saturday September 16th um, Batman Day at Jeffrey's Comics and at Gardena Cinema. That sounds really amazing. And I'm glad you brought that up. I actually went to see Blue Beetle at Gardena Cinema. And I think I met Judy. I think she was behind the concession stand because I, I hadn't mm -hmm. been there since I was a child because I also grew. I was born and raised in the city of Gardena. And we would go to Gardena Cinema as a family because they were the only one of the only theaters in the South Bay Area, not L.A., the South Bay Area, that had Spanish movies. So they had Cantinflas. I've noticed that. They, I, yes. I watched uh, La Niña de la Mochila Azul, uh, Lola La Trailera, like all these movies, right? And when I was purchasing my popcorn, I was like, yeah, I used to come here when I was a child. I saw the Spanish movies here. It was the only place that they had Spanish movies in the theater. He goes, oh, yeah, we had Cantinflas. We had, and then she just went off uh, La India Maria. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. 
maybe that's Judy. I didn't ask her though, but but yeah, she totally just said, yeah, she just we screen this, we screen that, and I was like, oh, that th- that must be Judy. But uh, yeah, I grew yeah. up with that theater. As a matter of fact, walking in there, I was just like, wow, it looks so much bigger when I was little. But as yeah. an additional incentive to support Gardena Cinema is that there's a bunch of street food all over the block right there. <gasps> oh, nice! Yeah. I got there right on time, so I didn't get a chance to go across the street and get food, but there was so much food. I saw hot dog vendors, eloteros, and all the <gasps> stuff, all the stuff. They had, I, oh, I wow. would, I, I mean, off the top of my head, and this was on a Friday, I must have seen like seven food vendors on that block. Wow. And because I'm Mexican, I can go and eat from the street food and still have popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, absolutely. I'm so excited for this. I can't wait till Batman Day. As a matter of fact, they said that you can wear a costume. So just an additional incentive, you can wear a costume and it's not weird to go to the Garden of Cinema in a costume. And uh, yeah, they have a lot of amazing stuff. They have Selena that is playing September the 14th through the 17th at 8 o'clock. Labyrinth will be playing September 13th, 8 p.m. They have other movies that I don't know what they are, but they have a Ryan Art Festival um, September the 30th. And if you want to know what they're doing and their schedule, always go on Eventbrite, look up Gardena Cinema, and they have all the scheduled programming on there for you to buy tickets there. Or you can buy them at the concession stand, just like the good old days, guys, just like the good old days. All right, guys, now it's time for saludos. And saludos goes out today to the Latinx Comics Expo 2023. It's going to be held at MOLA, M-O-L-A-A. It's the Museum of Latin American Art. It's on 628 Alamitos Avenue, Long Beach, California, 90802. The event will take place September 9th and September 10th. And it's a family-friendly event. Also know that Sunday is free. So come on down, support Latinx creators, crafters, comic book creators, artists. And podcasters. And podcasters podcasters. like us. Come on down, swing on down. I'm happy. We're going to give out swag. Come on down, purchase a book, get a free bag. And we can't wait to see you again. It is the Latinx Comics Expo 2023. All right, guys, that brings us to the end of this episode. Where can they find us, Kristen? You can find us on our website at comadrecomics.com, where there are links to all of our social media, including our YouTube channel, where you can find past interviews with creators and lots of cool people talking about their projects. And believe me, you will find something super interesting in any of those interviews. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for listening to us. We wouldn't be here without you. We can't wait to see you at the Latinx Comics Expo in Long Beach. Be sure to come on down. Remember, it's free on Sunday and we will have free swag and you can talk to us and have a good time. Bring the whole family down. Thank you so much for listening. We have been your hosts. I'm Sarah. I'm Kristen. And I'm Jen. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. And that's on period. Network. <laughs>